This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Moshek. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We are here in studio with NPR reporter Greg Myrie. Actually, it's... uh, National, I had your title and it's gone. National security. <laughs> National security correspondent. My apologies. Uh, on that note, we're just going to dive right into the questions. So, touching on being a more informed consumer, I guess what would you consider are the national security points that I guess students should know about? Um, I, I think it's it's just trying to. Um, Pick up on some things that are not in the news every day. Um, there are all these issues. I mean, just you've got the U.S. has uh, 15,000 troops in Afghanistan, 5,000 in Iraq, a few thousand in Syria. But you don't hear about that. You know, pay attention. Try to try to see what's happening, what's going on in these places. You know, is the U.S. making progress? Is this, is this a good investment um, that we're still putting uh, troops at risk in these places? Um, or is it not? Well, what have we gained in these wars where we've been fighting for, for now 15 or more years? Um, I, I think these are still very real questions that we're not hearing a lot about. And, and look at the, the, some of the other issues, um, again, that are not so visible. Um, I think that this dealing with um, what we saw with the Russian interference in the 2016 election um, is, has, I think, opened a lot of people's eyes to the way that individuals and countries and groups are trying to manipulate media and making it harder to figure out what's really going on in places. They're trying to muddy the waters. You know, I lived in Russia for three years, and I saw this in Russia. It was quite extraordinary the way that you would see Russian officials or Russian newspapers um, put out stories and information that just you said that that can't possibly be true. You know, it was completely at odds with <laughs> your your own eyes and ears and and what everybody else was telling you, and what they did internally in Russia and did with other countries and did during the Cold War um, in terms of disinformation. That's that's out there now, and, and it's it it. It's reaching the United States through, again, the Internet, social media, and other forms that it didn't used to do. Um, and so it's, and it's not just Russia. Other countries are, are, are picking up on that as, as well. Um, I'll give you one, one good example. Um, the National Football League and the question of, of players kneeling um, uh, for the national anthem, is that became a controversy. Um, it, was, it was very interesting to see how this developed. Um, so the players start doing that. It becomes a controversy. A lot of people pick up on that, pro and con. The president weighed in, um, saying he thought players should stand. It becomes, And then the Russians uh, got involved. And again, they love to stir up controversy. And so they were putting out all these um, statements, pro and con. They don't really care which side you're on. They don't care whether players stand or kneel. But they just want to see Americans argue and fight amongst themselves and, and become divisive. And if you looked at the hashtag on a lot of their Twitter feed, feeds, it would, it would say, um, uh, take the knee. Hashtag take the knee. But a native English speaker wouldn't say that. You would say, take a knee. 
And so that was sort of like a, a little a little tell, a little hint, a little giveaway. That, and if you go back and you look at that, you'll see a lot of this take the knee, which, again, not a native uh, English-speaking uh, expression. And so there's little tells like that where you see um, outsiders just trying to stir up controversy, uh, get wedge issues, and, and create division in the U.S. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. That was a little snippet of our interview with NPR national security correspondent Greg Myrie. And on that note, we're going to dive right into our local news. The American Red Cross of Colorado and Wyoming has partnered with Alpine Bank to provide disaster relief to Colorado and Wyoming. This is in response to numerous wildfires that have plagued the Colorado and Wyoming community, like the Durango and Lake Christine fire reports North 40 News. The campaign was geared to get communities in the region to donate to support the Red Cross, and Alpine Bank would match the donations. Alpine Bank founder and chairman Bob Young stated this summer severe drought conditions turned our Colorado forest into kindling, with multiple fires having burned thousands of acres and displacing thousands of our Colorado neighbors. Trained Red Cross volunteers met the immediate needs of hundreds of thousands of people and they continue to provide a long term to support. All this great work is possible and thanks to donors like you, Alpine Bank is so proud to stand with you and together help others when they need us most. End quote. The sum total of the donations culminated in $554,000 in relief funds to continually support the Red Cross efforts. The Red Cross continues to deploy to over 64,000 disasters a year. Speaking of fire, uh, closures of the Gray Rock and Hewlett Trails and the Gateway Natural Area have been lifted after the Seaman Fire was declared 100% contained on Friday, according to the U.S. Forest Service. Fire crews are now focusing on mopping up and monitoring operations. The fire reached 231 acres in the Hewlett Fire Scar, burning grasses and patches of trees and prompted several area closures and a voluntary evacuation for structures near the Smith Bridge. That evacuation was lifted on Thursday the 13th. The fire was located 14 miles from Fort Collins and was started by a lightning strike. There are currently 10 fires burning across the state as well as two prescribed burns. Extended high temperatures and dry weather have increased fire danger in the state. Officials at the UC Health Garth Garth Unland Blood Donation Centers in northern Colorado are seeking blood donations over the next three weeks, reports the Greeley Tribune. Local blood supplies are critically low after recent serious trauma incidents in northern Colorado, according to a UC Health News release. While national blood banks are facing this challenge, they will only be able to aid local health care providers in emergencies, according to the release and the Greeley Tribune. Donations of all blood types are needed, especially O-negative and A-negative blood types, which are typically harder to find. Eligible donors can schedule donations at Medical Center of the Rockies, 2500 Rocky Mountain Ave in Loveland, or at the Garth England Blood Donation Center in Fort Collins. And to schedule an appointment, call 970-680-8053. 
The Weld County District Attorney must decide whether or not to pursue capital punishment in the Watts case, but the decision will likely not be announced until next year, reports Joe Moylane of the Greeley Tribune. Weld County District Attorney Michael Rourke uh, must decide within uh, 63 days of the arraignment if the death penalty should be considered as punishment for Christopher Watts, who's accused of murdering his pregnant wife and two young daughters. The DA's office has issued two statements saying it's too early to decide if capital punishment will be pursued. There have only been 14 cases ending in the death penalty in Colorado since capital punishment was reinstated in 1975. There are currently three inmates on death row, and only one person has been executed by the state of Colorado in 40 years. The James Holm case is being examined to show what the death penalty case would look like. Holmes, who killed 12 people in the 2012 Aurora Theater shooting, was sentenced to life in prison instead of capital punishment for mental illness. The Holmes case was estimated to cost the taxpayers three to three and a half million dollars. While the cost of the death penalty in Watts's case does not have a readily available estimate, the ACLU estimates that the average death penalty case costs the taxpayers $3.5 million. They also estimate that a life without parole case costs $150,000. Death penalty cases also take much longer than life without parole cases. The average uh, life without parole case takes a year and a half. Capital punishment cases take an average of five or more years. Jury selection is also a longer process during uh, a capital punishment case because jurors must not have a strong opinion on the death penalty. A day and a half is usually used to select a jury, but capital punishment cases take an average of 26 days to select jurors. Factors like prior criminal history, lack of remorse, or committing the crime in front of a child, duress at the time of the crime, amongst others, can be factors in the use of the death penalty. Watts's arraignment will be scheduled in November. Shanann Watts and her daughters, four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste, as well as her unborn son, were buried in North Carolina on the 1st of September. Thank you, Raven, and thank you to our listeners for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on 90.5 KCSU. We'll come back with national news after the break. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Emily Moshak, and I'm joined in studio with my co-host. I am J.D. Layton. And our investigative reporter. Raven Color. And we are starting off with national news today. Days before the Senate Judiciary Committee was set to vote on Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation, a college professor accused the Supreme Court nominee of sexual assault. According to Fox News, the issue first came to light when Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein received a letter from Christine Blasley Ford accusing Kavanaugh of sexual assault when the two were in high school. Ford claims Kavanaugh pinned her to a bed during a party in the 80s and tried to remove her clothes and covered her mouth to prevent her from screaming. Ford, a psychology professor at Palo Alto, Palo Alto University, did an exclusive interview with the Washington Post where she said, I thought he might inadvertently kill me. He was trying to attack me and remove all of my clothing. Kavanaugh has issued a statement and claims, I categorically and unequivocally deny this allegation. 
I did not do this back in high school or at any time. It is unclear whether this will change the Judiciary Committee's mind about nominating Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. A 26-year-old man died on Saturday after being attacked by a shark at Cape Cod Beach in Massachusetts. This marks the first shark attack in the area in about 80 years, reports CNN. The man was later identified as Arthur Medici of Revere, Massachusetts. The attack occurred when he was boogie boarding about 30 yards into the water with his best friend, Isaac Roca. According to Roca, he saw Medici go under the water before coming back up screaming. He also saw a shark tail. Roca swam with Medici back to the shore and tried to use the boogie board strap as a tourniquet to stop the bleeding. Paramedics arrived and took Medici to a local hospital, where he later passed away from his injuries. According to Inside Edition, Medici was seriously dating Roca's sister, who, along with the rest of the Medici family, is heartbroken by his death. The last shark attack in Cape Cod occurred in 1936. This recent occurrence has reportedly set the whole community on edge again. The... I can't be the only one to, you know, to think that this sounds like the intro to like a new Jaws movie. It really does. In fact, um, when I was researching this story, there was a quote from one of the witnesses who said it was actually like a scene out of Jaws. I was like, wow, that, that is scary. That is just absurd. I can't even believe that. Like, I know. New England never gets shark attacks. And boom. I know. It attack. really is like out of nowhere. Like that is never one of those things you really think of. But I guess, I mean, they do. They are in the ocean. So got to kind of always be be prepared. But that is very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, Tropical Storm Florence has left the Carolinas devastated. And its effects are still being felt in the region as flooding continues, reports Holly Yon of CNN. Florence has killed at least 32 people and has completely cut off the city of Wilmington, North Carolina, due to intense flooding. Along with the massive flooding, several tornadoes have touched down from the aftermath of Florence's strong winds and have destroyed a building resulting in the first death from the storm in Virginia. Health concerns are being raised across the state as hog farms have have begun flooding, carrying pig waste into water, heightening the threat of disease and the weakened infrastructure. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper stated that this is a monumental disaster for our state. This is an epic storm that is still continuing because the rivers are still rising. Central and North Central, North and South Carolina are expected to receive an additional two to five inches of rainfall and will continue historic river flooding even after the rain has finished. Residents are being allowed to return to their homes now as the evacuate as evacuation orders are being lifted, but government officials still warn that these areas are likely inaccessible from flooding. At least half a million people in North and South Carolina are without power, and it remains unclear as to when that power will be restored. It has been announced that next month the president will test out the ability to send safety alerts to everyone's cell phone in America. This is part of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, system to warn the public in the event of a national emergency, reports CBS Pittsburgh. On Wednesday, October 3rd, Americans can expect to receive an alert reading, Presidential Alert, this is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System, no action is needed, end quote. The alert will be accompanied by the same tone that is used when an amber alert is announced. Cell phone users do not have the option to opt out of this alert. 
or future presidential alerts and will receive the alert as long as they have their cell phone on in range of a cell phone tower at 1218 Eastern Time. The Communications Act of 1934, which was signed by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, granted the president uh, authority to use communication systems in order to send out alerts and messages in the event of a national emergency, reports the Daily Record. According to a tweet sent out by FEMA, the presidential alert is the same system used by Amber Alert, uh, is only for national emergencies, and that FEMA and the FCC are simply testing the system to make sure it will work when needed. The system is called the Emergency Alert System and isn't limited to just cell phones. Alerts are broadcasted over the air, cable, satellite TV, and terrestrial and satellite radio, according to Fortune. Uh, the alert was originally set to be tested this Thursday, September 20th, but has been postponed to October 3rd amid the storms caused by Hurricane Florence, according to The Hill. The famous Volkswagen Beetle, more affectionately known as the slug bug by the general population, will be discontinued. The company will end production of the car in July of 2019, reports the New York Times. The move comes after Beetle sales have been declining in recent years. Volkswagen is going to move towards producing larger, more family-friendly cars in hopes to increase sales. The car has been around for about 70 decades, originating as a personal design for Adolf Hitler in the 1930s. The car was later pitched as a practical car for everybody, since only the wealthy could afford cars at the time. It later became a symbol during the counterculture of the 1960s, before fading from popularity in the 70s until the modern version was released again in the late 90s. Lovers of the car should not be too disappointed, however. The Volkswagen president said never say never when asked if the iconic car would ever be back in production. And thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here. Stay tuned. We're going to go on a quick break. But after that, we have a phone interview as well as a roundtable discussing the Brett, Brett Kavanaugh sexual assault allegations. Stick with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Emily Moshak, joined in studio with my co-host. I'm J.D. Leighton. And our investigative reporter. Raven Collar. And we are about to discuss the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. Brett Kavanaugh is the nominee for the Supreme Court, and he has recently come under fire because a professor has... Uh, a college professor, Christine Ford, has accused him of sexually assaulting her back in the 1980s in high school. And now he has to undergo a hearing to determine whether or not her accusations are true. And it definitely is going to affect whether or not he will be put onto the Supreme Court. I, I think this is a bit of an interesting case because I... There are a, a couple of ways this could end up playing out, I guess, the way I, I, I see it. Either one, uh, the allegations are true, and uh, Kavanaugh will sort of not be allowed to join the Supreme Court, which will be a huge blow to uh, the Donald Trump administration. It's, uh, you know, important for them to sort of stack this, the, the court with judges that will be in favor of, you know, their sort of interpretation of the Constitution— the other way is that uh, the allegations will either prove to be untrue or unsubstantiated, uh, 
in in some form and it'll sort of act as a huge huge victory for the 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 trump administration and it'll be something that they definitely try and carry out into sort of the the election cycle coming up they're definitely going to ride it as the look what we did we don't lie about things like this and we get people where we need them to be uh and and i i found if anything it's just going to add you know further division with an already sort of divided group so you think there are well just you think there will be division if you think kavanaugh getting on the supreme court will cause more division yeah no it'll add even more kindling to to a fire that's sort of growing Mm -hmm. do you think it'd be better then or if he wasn't for the country or like Honestly, like I, I'm not necessarily really sure if it would be better or worse to have him in because regardless of if Kavanaugh doesn't get it, there's still the slot open mm-hmm. and the president will likely find somebody along the same lines and political view as him to sort of fill that position. Um, I mean, I it would be interesting to see like a more moderate uh, type of judge come out of it as the alternative, but I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I mean, let's say that he's not confirmed for this issue, which I think a lot of people don't think is going to happen because a lot of people are comparing this to the Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill situation, and uh, this alleged assault happened 30-some years ago. Um, But let's say Kavanaugh is not confirmed, and then the Democrats... Take, o- take back the majority in the midterm. I mean, I think the likelihood that the Trump administration is going to go for a more central or even leftist judge is kind of unlikely. And, you know, the logistics of having a, you know, a Supreme Court one man down for four years is not good. So I think... It's hard to say. I mean, obviously, it's not our journalistic duty to say what's good or bad. But I think either way, you know, you're you're seeing some political judicial complications no matter which way it goes. Yeah. And it really is. I think every kind of case, especially with all the Me Too stuff, is really it's kind of complicated because you can't. Like you don't want to dismiss the victim and say that it didn't happen to them because it's terrible, especially, you know, when it, if it really did happen to them, then that's awful. And it's already so hard for them to come forward with something like that. But at the same time, if it's not true, you're literally ruining the reputation. I mean, even if regardless of whether or not Kavanaugh gets in the Supreme Court, this accusation is kind of always going to be associated with him now. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the interesting thing about this one is how old it is. And I think people have argued, you know, he was in high school. Like, this was a really long time ago. And honestly, at first, when I heard, oh, this person's come forward with accusations from high school, I was kind of like, oh, like, how, you know, should we really take these seriously? But I think the nature of the allegations, um, what she says happened, it's so serious and so intentional that, you know, it's not just like, oh, he touched my butt during a football game it's like something he did very intentionally and it was very aggressive um and i think this is not one of those things where we can say oh it was like a misunderstanding or it was a really long time ago he changed like it's very intentional and it's something that should be taken very very seriously yeah i think the only thing that's tricky with that is you know he's denying it which not saying you can't really say if his denial is true or not but then you also 
you know, it's kind of a he said, she said thing since it's all the way back in the 80s. Like, it's not like you can find physical proof. Yeah. So I don't really know how they would even determine. Yeah, I guess at this point, we're just going to have to wait until the hearing can sort of uh, hopefully draw out the truth from the situation because... Uh, as you brought up, the the nature of the assault was it was very intense, very deliberate. Um, but as Emily also brought up, the, the the point that this case was in this is from the '80s. This is a sort of my word against your word type of thing, and it's it's difficult to be able to sort of actually ascertain what the 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 real case is because. You know, it, like the conspiracy theorist in, in me is like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to sort of delay uh, a, in, instilling like a judge that you don't necessarily agree with. But at the same time, it's like if this is the type of person that it is, is this really somebody that should be a, you know, on the highest court of the nation? Yeah. Yeah. It has been mentioned a couple of times that this coming out seems very political. And I think the one thing i keep thinking when people say oh it's just a political timing like they're just trying to push back the nomination but i feel like if you had had a negative aggressive experience with somebody who 30 years later is being nominated for a very important position you know it it would feel like your duty to be like hey this is the kind of person you're getting into bed with you need to know that you know they're like oh why didn't she come out and make these accusations any time before now well you know who cares about some you know average federal court judge but this is somebody who's going to be there for a long time and is very impactful so i kind of understand the timing and like a non like it is i think politically timed but i don't think it's in you know such a malevolent or aggressively i don't want to say bipartisan but i don't think that she was like oh you know what i'm gonna mess with everything yeah I know, I really, it is hard to say, and then even, and again, you never want to say the wrong thing and say that, oh, just because they were at a party when it happened, but that always makes things more tricky when both parties, you know, have been drinking, and even just thinking, you know, all the college parties that we've been to, like, there have been things that, maybe not to this extent, but that are definitely on the line, and it really kind of draws into question the kind of stuff, you know, that can, in 20 years, come up later. And I think the comparison that a lot of people have been making is Anita Hill, you know, during the 90s. Of course, her accusations were less aggressive, but she came forward with a fairly recent accusation um, to when Clarence Thomas was being confirmed. And she was basically run over the coals as a joke, you know, not only by, you know, American pop culture, but by Congress itself. Like, they did not treat her well. Um, and I think, you know, she's supposed to have a hearing on Monday. I think it'll be really interesting to see how they handle it, because obviously the Trump administration and the Republican Party would really like to get Kavanaugh in. But at the same time, they're heading into a midterm election where, you know, women's votes are going to be very important. And alienating women by taking someone who's made an accusation like this and, you know, kind of what am i trying to dismissing say them yeah dismissing her would could really be damaging that's true and well even um senator cory gardner recently made a statement saying that he was looking forward to the hearing and kind of seeing what was going down so and of course you can't say whether or not you'd hope it was genuine but i think a lot of republicans are actually in support of the hearing 
you know, possibly with the midterms in mind as well. Yeah, it, I guess when it comes down to it, my sincerest hope is that as the hearing goes on, it's like the, the truth can actually be ascertained. It's something that's done in a fair and sort of unbiased manner that, that can sort of get to the bottom of the situation rather than use it to sort of uh, push out you know, an opinion that's sort of dissenting or maybe a factual evidence that's that's counter to what you need it to be. Uh, that, I think that would be sort of one of the, the bigger letdowns to, to come out of it. Yeah, well, and the Democrats have mentioned a couple of times that they would like the FBI to do a formal investigation, but kind of a response that, especially Kavanaugh's, you know, response team has said a couple of times, which seems fair, is that this is a he said, she said from 30 years ago how are you going to confirm the facts yeah i think that is a very good point and i think the hearing is probably the best step that we can honestly do at this point and just hope that yeah the truth comes out the way it's meant to be you're listening to the rocky mountain review your new show here on kcsu fort collins stay tuned we've got an exclusive interview with beth souter on racial equality in fort collins And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Emily Moshak. I am J.D. Layden, the co-host. And we are here with our investigative reporter. Raven Color. And then we have a special interview guest on the phone. We have a Beth Sounder, Sustainability Department Director for Fort Collins. Thank you so much for joining us, Beth. Hi, thank you for having me. Awesome, thank you so much. So we're going to dive just right into the questions. Um, so Fort Collins is having race equity training. What exactly is that? And, and for you know those of us who might not be necessarily that familiar with it. So what it is, is it's, a, it's actually a training that is brought to us by the National League of Cities. And they have what they call the, re, um, it's called REAL, so Race and Equity Leadership Training. And we had a couple city council members that um, attended their training last November at the National League of Cities conference and requested that um, the city look into bringing it here for city leaders and city council members alike. So we just hosted that last Friday and Saturday. Awesome. And and what exactly was the city trying to accomplish with this race equity training? Is there a problem of racial inequity within Fort Collins? Um, they, well, we hear from all different kinds of perspectives, for sure. Um, and we have heard that not everybody in our community feels completely safe and welcome in our community. So there's definitely a desire on the city's part to learn and find out how we can be better and make sure that we are definitely providing our services in a way that um, uh, provides a le- uh, inclusion and equity for everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their identity is, no matter what their zip code is. And um, so a way of doing that is to make sure that we bring in training um, for city staff members, for city leadership, city council members. Um, so, And this particular training was kind of a 101 level, which is uh, a little bit about oh, the history of our country, um, institutional racism, and how just some information about how things have evolved over the years and how we as an organization that's been around for a long time could have things that have impacted us that we're not even aware of. Um, just and, and it also told us, gave us ways to identify and um, use kind of an equity lens when um, reviewing policies and any kind of 
um, changes to the services that we provide to ensure that we are um, treating people fairly. Has this been an issue that's increased in the coming years since 2018, or has this been something that Fort Collins has always kind of dealt with? Um, I wouldn't say that we've seen an increase, at least not with the within the city organization. Um, so there's not. Um, it was. I think it's just more of an awareness, honestly, just that um, we want to make sure that you know it was. It was actually more about. 2015, when the Social Sustainability Department um, made one of our four key theme areas in our strategic plan, um, equity and inclusion. And in the next budget process, we were able to get a part-time, a half-time um, city coordinator position approved for the budget so we could have someone working just specifically on the issue in Fort Collins. And how can we, and then and then we have evolved from there. We're we're members of the Government Alliance for Racial Equity. Um, we were the first Colorado municipality be, to become a member of that, and they're just an organization. They also work really closely with the National League of Cities and helped to um, provide the uh, curriculum for this training that we just had. And um, just wanting to be as as out in front as we can to try to identify. Uh, whatever issues we do have, and make sure we best enable our our staff and let city leaders to make sure we're treating people in a really good way. Okay, okay. And along with the training, sort of what other steps is Fort Collins taking to sort of mitigate uh, these types of racial problems? Well, um, we have, so the internally we have, over the last year, we've updated our um, policies and procedures manual just to make sure we had language in there that was very um, inclusive of all genders of in, you know so we not just on race but also all the other all the other dimensions of equity so um, it was already our policies were already pretty good I can't even think of an example off because that was for our human resources department but I'm just wanting to make sure that that we were all inclusive there we've just started in the last just this year, we had our third proclamation um, in June, pro- proclaiming uh, Pride Month in June. So um, we're just working in different ways to start. And we have an internal equity team that's comprised of about 40 or so city employees. We have three executive leadership sponsors for that team just to really help um, lift up the, the work of equity in our, in our organization. We have a... Um, we're working on a pilot right now that has um, it's a, a video uh, teaching program where we have three different uh, videos and then we can we we host um, departmental meetings and over the topic of the video and we have trainers that we're um, we're working with to come in and help through staff conversation about um, potential situations that could come up and these were based on three um, three examples and then they talk through kind of what is a what you know what was the problem how do you then resolve it how do you, what do you do moving forward who can you talk to um, so just real life kind of situations that people can then learn um, what do you do and how do you how do you move forward how do you make how do you speak up and or who do you go to if you see a problem those kinds of things has there ever been any controversy surrounding these measures or the training um, I wouldn't say controversy I think just quite honestly, race is a, is a is a topic that people shy away from sometimes. As far as racial discrimination, people um, it's it's a hard conversation, and and people, especially um, myself included, someone who is is uh, 
um, white and and has just you know been able to live in a you know a privileged lifestyle of not even understanding or recognizing what someone of a different race might encounter, um, what it might feel like, and just being okay and open to have those conversations and not have you know shame or guilt take over and feel or have any blaming going on, but being more about um, how do we learn, how do we recognize and be aware and learn from our past, and how do we move move forward? You know, in, in all the years of, of humanity, and we see all this technology and all these great, um, you know, um, inventions and things that happen and incredible things in the medicine world and all that kind of stuff for health, yet, um, yet it's kind of, it's kind of, disheartening to think we still have to we still that there are people in our in our very own community who may not feel welcome or may not feel included in our community and we you know some of us and most of us you know want to make sure that that we're doing the things right to move forward and stepping into that uncomfortableness if it needs to be that and really pushing through and leaning in and having sometimes uncomfortable conversations to get better and move forward Mm -hmm. well I th- I think that about wraps up what we have. Thank you so. Do you have any or do you have anything else oh. you'd like to add? I would, I would just add um, we had five of our seven city council members there on Saturday. We also had our city manager and city attorney. We had uh, city manager of Loveland. So and then we had about sixty of our executive and uh, department heads and managers on Friday. So um, overall, close to a hundred um, people that attended the training and we think it was a great investment and we want to continue it moving forward. So it wasn't like a one and done kind of thing. We, we took the one-on-one, we're good, <laughs> but we want to, we want to continue this. We want to, you know, continue our, our knowledge gaining and continue to move forward in this work. And we are definitely opening, open to hearing about the challenges too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That is great that our city of Fort Collins is definitely paying attention and being conscious about this. So thank you so much, Beth. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Uh Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. So that was Beth. Beth Beth Sounder, the, uh, I have the title, Social Sustainability Department Director of the City of Fort Collins. We will be taking a quick break before we come back with sports loud and clear, only here on 90.5 KCSU. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Emily Moshak, joined in studio with my co-host. J.D. Layton. Our investigative reporter. Raven Color, And our sports analyst. Ray McGowan. All right. So tell us about CSU Sports, Ray. Man, um, it, we're going to start with the painful one, of course. We're going to talk about football. Uh CSU went into Gainesville to face uh, the University of Florida, their second SEC opponent in a row. Uh, last week, they defeated Arkansas in an upset, which had a lot of people optimistic about the season. And with Colorado State going to Gainesville, it was their first true away game. The first game was against Hawaii and Fort Collins. The second one was Rocky Mountain Showdown in Denver. And then last week was against Arkansas here in Fort Collins again. This game, many people, it went off to a good start at the very beginning. At the very, very beginning. CSU held Florida to just 27 total yards in the first quarter, which is incredible, considering how our defense is probably one of the worst aspects of this team. Uh, That means 
in the fourth quarter against Arkansas, they only allowed 16 yards. And for two total quarters against an SEC teams, they only allowed 37 yards. And that quickly went away so fast. Uh, many mistakes, including uh, fumbled snaps and uh, just silly mistakes and missed field goals, caused Florida to get a huge lead. And in the end, uh, the Gators defeated the CSU Rams 48-10. to Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. It's it's an, it is probably one of the most inconsistent football teams um, I've ever seen. Q, uh, quarterback KJ Carr Samuels is seventh all time in in, uh, in the NCAA in completions per game. Uh, he's tenth all time in passer, passing per yard so far in that. Uh, and then he also set a school record, of course, uh, for passing yards in his first game, as well as posted the second and third highest passing yards in a single game in program history again. Uh, it's it's just confusing. Wide receiver Preston Williams ranks third in college football for receptions per game and seventh in receiving yards. And yet, we, we can't win. And we have the most high-powered passing offense in college football, yet we can't do anything. There was an editorial published in The Collegiate today about um, switching our sports focus away from football. That doesn't sound like the worst. <laughs> I, I mean, we've what? got a killer volleyball team. Let's focus on that. I say yeah. we just build another stadium, and then yeah. our offense will get even more high-powered because that's how it works. <laughs> and our defense will get worse. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> for for the CSU volleyball, they did a they did a pretty well job. They went. Uh, last Friday, they played uh, against Indiana State, and they swept them in three sets. Uh, and then they went over to Boulder, and they first played Portland State, and they swept them also in three sets. However, their last game was against Colorado, and they lost uh, one. Uh, they lost three to one uh, in terms of sets. So they had a, they left the weekend uh, two and one. It's kind of a shaky start for CSU. I mean, their overall record right now is eight and four, and. Uh, their previous losses have come from Illinois, who's one of the top volleyball teams in the country, and Cincinnati, which was just uh, a mistake trying to get everything figured out. Then it's Michigan, who's also undefeated in the season and one of the top-ranked teams in the country. And then Colorado, which was right behind us, technically, in voting for the top 25. So in terms of losses, they're not horrible losses. I mean, it's that we just play tough teams, and two of the four teams that we've lost against were on the road. Uh, but losing those senior, you know, key players really hurts. Uh, and trying to figure out, you know, how can we continue to be on a roll and figure out what you know sets work best against certain teams and what formations and what uh, lineups. So I think we're still in that phase where it's like, okay, what works best and what doesn't. Uh, and they officially start uh, Mountain West plays. Uh, this Thursday, they play in Reno against Nevada, and then this Saturday, they play here in Moby against San Jose State. So, hopefully, they can turn around, especially when it comes to conference play and win another Mountain West Conference title. Let's just make sure that when we're on the road, we also continue to seal those wins and take those opportunities against easy players and easy teams to really get rested for bigger opponents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have faith. I have faith in our Rams. Maybe. Yes. We can mm-hmm. do some stuff sometimes. Yeah. Well, the C, the CC Women's Volleyball is a they're a fantastic team and they do not get enough credit that 
is deserving. Chrissy Hillier is fantastic. So it's Jessica Jackson and Brianna Runnels, and uh, as well as uh, Katie Olsek. Uh They do a fantastic job, and they're filling in their roles and stepping in the foot uh, in places where seniors left, and they're doing a fantastic job. Um, and I, I from the that Cleasy article. I, I I wish that was the case. I wish we could, st- st- I mean, slow down focus from football to other aspects because the the women's soccer team is doing fantastic, the women's volleyball team is doing fantastic, Heck, even the the men's baseball team last season did pretty well and and was just a couple games away from going to the world like the World Series tournament, the NCAA tournament for baseball. And, you know, I think the only issue for that is like I wish it would happen. But football is what brings in the most money. And yeah. I, that's what's going to dominate headlines. And that's what's going to dominate in terms of athletic focus. If women's volleyball gets more, you know, you know, just raises more money or, or brings in a lot more money, I think that would be fantastic. I would I'd be ecstatic because I think they are fantastic. I think they deserve all the credit in the world for how hard they work and how hard they put CSU on the map. Yeah. But with that brand new stadium here on campus and how CSU is getting people to go to tailgates and by donations of getting close to the stadium. Football is what brings in the money and that's what's going to get the most focus. I mean, 75 years ago, you could have said the same thing about a failing baseball team. So, you know, I think the university can take steps to maybe look into changing how we focus on our sports, but... Yeah, well, at least until then, we can celebrate them here on the Rocky Mountain Review. And on that note, we're going to dive into everybody's favorite section. I know everybody's been waiting for it until the end of the show, but it's always what we love to close out with. You already know what today's weather was like, so I don't even need to describe it other than the fact that it was hot. It's going to be only slightly less hot, and by slightly less, I mean 56 degrees tonight. But tomorrow... It's going to be a nice 84. It'll feel lovely in comparison to the gazillion degree weather we had just experienced today. Mm-hmm. And def- Thursday will follow a similar trend of decreasing temperature only slightly in comparison. It'll be 84 degrees and partially cloudy. Also, expect some some rain tomorrow. There's a chance of thunderstorms. I am ready for that. Well, that is good news then that it's going to be a little cooler. But thank you all for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. And thank you to Ray McGowan and Raven Culler, of course, as well as Gabe Peterson and Katie Otter and Mia Sawaya for all helping us contribute to the review today and our interview, Beth Souter, and, of course, my co-host, J.D. Layton. And thank you, Emily, as well as thank you, uh, Greg Myrie, for allowing us to get to sit down and do an interview with you as well. Yes. Thank you all for those contributors to the show that make it awesome. We'll be here again on Tuesday at 4. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins.